would open up with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10. So we're actually going to talk more than just the Bible, um, because if you've spent more than a few years in a church, especially a Baptist church, you've probably come into contact with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Uh, it's, it's one of the go-tos for folks who, who love the Bible and want to follow Jesus to explain why we love the Bible and why we go to it to follow Jesus. Um, but we, we want to make sure that we don't take things out of context, right? And so I want to argue today that 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, the entire paragraph that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy, is about the beauty of Scripture coupled with the necessity for discipleship. And so when we talk about discipleship, and we're going to jump into this a little bit more, uh, but when we talk about discipleship, what we're saying is, I mean, a disciple is someone who follows the teaching of a teacher. So when we say that we want to make disciples, we're saying that we want to make someone who follows the teachings of Jesus. And when we talk about discipleship, that is the spiritual formation that takes place I think I'm a little hot right there, so I'll stand here. Um, That is the spiritual formation that takes place to help us follow the teachings of Jesus. And so, I want to use an illustration to show us a way not to do discipleship. In the second... In the second Star Wars movie, originally, okay, uh, the title of it is The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I was a year away from being born when that movie came out, so hopefully that doesn't make, that doesn't date too many of you. Um, but in that, in that movie, Luke Skywalker, who's the main character, comes to find out that, that he has the, the powers and the abilities of a Jedi, and so he is sent to, to be trained by this fellow, this little green guy, um, by the name of Yoda. And so Luke leaves what he's doing, goes to Yoda, sits at his feet, is trained by him, and we come to learn that Luke's friends are in trouble And Luke gets this sense from the Force. If you've never seen Star Wars, I'm sorry, this probably makes no sense to you. Um, But but he he gets this sense that his friends are in trouble, and he decides to leave. And Yoda's upset because his training isn't finished, and he doesn't want him to leave yet. He wants him to stay and continue to be trained. But Luke decides that his friend's welfare is more important than his training, so he leaves. And eventually, in the third movie, he comes back to finish his training. But there's... I think some of us look at discipleship as the three years that I spent in seminary, right? That it's, it's some sort of training that you have to get away to, to, to be trained heavily. And that has never been the intention of discipleship. Discipleship is, it has with it that idea of learning to follow Jesus, but being sent as you're following him. 
that you are called to go and make disciples while you're being trained in the faith, coming to a deeper and better understanding. And so what we need to see here from this this brief paragraph that Paul writes to Timothy is you and I, we are never going to reach um, this completeness of being a perfect disciple of Jesus that perfectly understands the scriptures and can perfectly argue from reason and the scriptures to point people to Jesus. None of us will be there perfectly. And that's not even the intent. The intent is you are trained to build up your faith, to trust Jesus more deeply, but you are being sent constantly to go tell people about Jesus. Now, our problem, and what what I want to address today, and if you're taking notes, this is the first note. Our problem is we don't believe we need discipleship in the Bible. We don't believe we need discipleship in the Bible. I would argue that in our day-to-day lives, we don't see the need for discipleship And oftentimes, we don't think that we need the Bible. I mean, how many of us have been guilty? I'm not saying this past week, but some week in our life where we opened up our Bible on Sunday morning in church and then closed it and didn't open it again for the rest of the week. That would be an argument that you don't see the need for the Bible. And how many of us in our day-to-day lives and, and throughout our weeks don't seek to be encouraged in the gospel and to be helped in following Jesus or to encourage someone in the gospel or to help someone follow Jesus. We don't think about it at all. That would remind us that we don't really think we need discipleship. But friends, God's call is clear. From Matthew 28, we see the call to go make disciples. From 2 Peter chapter 1, we see clearly how important the scriptures are because they are not the prophecies and interpretations of man. They come from God. So God's call today from those two passages and from 2 Timothy is this. Be discipled, disciple, cherish and trust the Bible. So you are being called to be discipled, to have someone who is a few steps ahead of you in the faith helping you to follow Jesus. And you are being called to disciple, to help someone who's a few steps behind you to follow Jesus. And friends, you are being called to cherish and trust the Bible, to not look at it as you look at other books to see it as different and good and from the Lord. So with that thought in mind, I want us to jump into the text. We're going to start in verses 10 and 11 and see that this is Paul showing us the life of discipleship. This is what discipleship should look like. Paul writes this to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. 
which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So Paul reminds Timothy, okay, so let me paint the picture a little bit better because I want to make sure that we get this. So Paul is writing to Timothy because Paul has left Timothy in a city called Ephesus. It's an important city in the Roman Empire. It's an important city to the Christian church. Okay? One of your letters from Paul in your New Testament, I would say one of the, one of the ones I like the most is called Ephesians. Right? That's a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. So Paul has, has taken Timothy, who is his disciple, someone that he spent time with, and he's planted him in Ephesus to pastor. And he writes two letters to Timothy while he's pastoring in Ephesus. First Timothy, and guess what the other one is? Second Timothy. Good job. A plus, gold star. Um, so he writes these two letters. And biblical scholars think that 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote that ended up in our Bible. In fact, I'm finishing up 2 Timothy with the deacons on Sunday morning. And we're at the very end, right? We're going to finish it next week. And, and we're seeing how Paul is pouring out his heart to Timothy. This is... A couple scholars have called this Paul's last will and testimony. These are the things that he wants to leave Timothy and the church. These are his, his lasting thoughts. This is Paul's legacy. And so he reminds Timothy, who has done ministry with Paul and who has been discipled by Paul, he says, listen, you know my life. You know my teaching. You know my conduct. You know the aim of everything I did and still do today. And what is that one thing that marked Paul? It was the gospel. It was the bad news that Jew and Gentile alike are condemned because of their sin before God. But it is the good news that Jew and Gentile alike can be forgiven and their relationship restored with God by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news that Paul is carrying with him in everything that he does. That is the thing that Timothy has seen from the day he met Paul to this letter that Paul is writing before his death. If you have time today, I would encourage you to read the last chapter in 2 Timothy. It's, it's chapter 4. And notice near the end of it, he says, Timothy, come to me as soon as you can. Paul loved Timothy deeply. In fact, there are other places in Scripture where Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. And we'll talk about that more in a, in a few minutes. But, friends, Paul is reminding Timothy that he was about the gospel. And Timothy saw that because they lived a life of discipleship. Paul says in multiple letters to churches, follow me as I follow Christ. That is simple. That's the most simple definition of discipleship. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so when, when I'm calling you to disciple others and to be a disciple, 
Many of you are like, okay, so I guess I've got to buy a program or, or worry about, you know, worry about asking the church for materials that I can disciple with. I don't think that's necessary for discipleship. I think discipleship can be simply you're a few steps ahead of someone and the Lord is teaching you through his word and you're going to teach someone what he's teaching you. Now, discipleship should include reading the Bible together, right? It should include praying with one another. It should include life-on-life stuff, right? Like young believers should be able to come to, should be able to, come to older believers and say, hey, um, my, my kids are a mess. Help me. And you say, okay, here's what we've done. That's discipleship. If it centers around the Lord, right? If you tell them to lock them in closets and don't let them out. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's not of the Lord, right? Um, but, but that's discipleship if you're pointing them back to the scriptures and back to Jesus. And so Paul says, you, you know me because you've lived with me. You've lived under my discipleship. And Paul takes it, verse 11 is kind of tough, right? Because Paul says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Um, If you go back to Acts chapter 14, you can read about these. In Antioch, Paul is driven out by the crowd because they're so angry about his teaching. In Iconium, he is, is teaching And some new converts find out that he's about to be stoned. So they say, Paul, you need to leave. Get out of here. And he leaves. And then at Lystra, which is Timothy's home, it's where he was born and raised, Paul was actually stoned and left to die. And the Lord miraculously healed him. Just a reminder, a stoning is not just people chucking rocks. Uh, There's actually a there, there was a pit outside of most cities, and they would tie the person down, and they would, they would take boulders that they would have to push, and they would push them down the hill, and they would gain speed, and they would land on the person, and they would just push boulder after boulder after boulder until the person died. It is a horrific death. And the people of Lystra did this to Paul, and the Lord spared him. So Timothy has seen this. He has seen who Paul is and what Paul is about. He knows that Paul is all about the gospel. So we go to verse 12, and and verses 12 and 13, this is Paul's little rabbit trail, okay? This is a warning that Timothy needs to heed, and it's a warning that you and I need to heed, but it's not the main point of the passage. In verse 12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now notice who Paul says will be persecuted. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's the fruit of discipleship. The fruit of discipleship is someone who lives a godly life, a life that honors God obeys his commands, but you do it because of what? Because of your faith in Jesus. Discipleship is not learning outside things to do to get God to love you. Discipleship is being transformed in the heart and it changing what you do with your hands and your feet and your eyes and your tongue. 
That's discipleship. And so Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. To persecute, because I think some of us forget this, it simply means to be harassed or punished because of belief. Friends, some Christians are persecuted in big ways. They're fired from their jobs because of their faith. They're imprisoned because of their faith. They're put to death because of their faith. But some Christians are persecuted in small ways. Loss of friends. Loss of of influence. A sense of loneliness among unbelievers. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to look at your life and realize that you have been persecuted. Maybe it's in small ways, but it has happened. If it hasn't, then maybe you're not desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't been persecuted, and look, in in the United States, it's going to be small persecution. Maybe not forever, but for right now, it's going to be small persecution. But you and I need to live differently than the people around us. And that living differently is a result of the Lord changing our heart and us being discipled. Paul says that evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. The evil people are the unrepentant sinners who persecute, right? those who are enemies of Christ and his church. And then the imposters are unbelievers, unrepentant sinners who claim Christianity but, but live in a way that avoids persecution or even joins in on the persecution. Paul reminds Timothy and those in the church of Ephesus and us that evil people and imposters are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. And we have to prepare ourselves for that. So we jump from that to verse 14 and verse 15. These are the roots of discipleship. The roots of discipleship. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That word continue is important. The roots have been laid down for Timothy, but he needs to keep doing it, to keep going after it. And he needs to continue in what? In what he's learned and believed. So there's two elements to discipleship. There is the learning, which requires teaching, which requires using the mind. And then there's believing, which requires faith, which is a matter of the heart. Friends, you can learn everything you want about Scripture. You can know the gospel and systematic theology backwards and forwards. But if you don't love the Lord, you are still destined for God's wrath. The first step in discipleship is belief. Repenting of your sins and placing your trust in the perfectly obedient life of Jesus. The sacrificial death on the cross and his sin and hell defeating resurrection. That's the starting process in discipleship. Discipleship doesn't begin with learning. It includes it, 
but it begins with matters of the heart. And friends, I would argue that spiritual formation is a part of discipleship, so it doesn't just start with matters of the heart, but it continues with matters of the heart. You should be learning and maturing in what you know, but your heart needs to continually be changed. Why? Well, because one of the early reformers reminded us that our hearts are idol factories. We make idols out of everything, even believers. And so we need our heart to be continually worked on. Now, Paul says how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is where I think it's important to give us some background about who Timothy was. Timothy had a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. And so Timothy's mom, a a woman named Eunice, and his grandmother, a woman named Lois, became believers and so they took the, the understanding of the Hebrew Bible that they had and, and the preaching of the gospel from the d- disciples and apostles, and they took that and they raised Timothy up in the faith of Christianity. Timothy had a solid base of discipleship from his childhood. And Paul says that he was acquainted with what? With the sacred writings. That word sacred is just a fancy way to say holy Right? Set apart from God, different. You know what these sacred writings are. They're the scriptures. They're the Bible. And these scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why discipleship is not just head knowledge. You don't just need to know more about Jesus. You do need to know more about Jesus, but you don't just need to know more about Jesus because you need to be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wisdom is simply the idea of learning that helps one discern and have good sense. If you want wisdom apart from Christ, read the book of Proverbs. There's wisdom painted through that book. But if you want wisdom that makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ, you need the book of Proverbs, but you need oh so much more. You need Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. You need Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You need Romans, 1 Corinthians. You need them all. Because what you will see from the story of God is that we are broken sinners who need a Savior. That's the message of the entirety of the Bible. That's why we need the Old Testament just as much as we need the New. But Paul says that it's able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we go to the Bible, not as a source of information, but as something that will show us our need for the gospel and then give us the gospel. That's why the Bible is important. That's why we work through every part of it. That's why starting next Sunday, I'm going to begin a short series on the book of Hosea, which is hard and heartbreaking, but it's redeeming because it points us back to the love of God. We finish with the source of discipleship, verses 16 and 17. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Friends, your Bible is made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And we believe that these 66 books were, are the word of God written by men in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And we believe that it's from God because of verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. That word there for breathed out by God, that's, that's one Greek word that we've translated into multiple English words. But that word, it, yes, it, it, it means the breath of God, but it also means the spirit of God. Because the, the same word in Greek for spirit is breath. And so when we say that the scriptures are breathed out by God, we're saying that the Holy Spirit was actively involved in the writing down of the scriptures. And because of this, they're profitable. They're worthy. They're usable. They bring good for teaching. Head knowledge, right? For reproof. Reproof is, actually looked it up because I wanted to, to give you the right definition. Reproof means to scold with good intent. My kids would hear scold with good intent and say, what is that? Right? It doesn't seem like my parents have good intentions when they scold me. But that's, that's what reproof means. And of course, correction is to, char- to change the course with good intent. Right? And so I, the way I illustrate it is, Correction is when my son and I are holding hands and he wants to take off through the parking lot and I pull him back and I say, buddy, we have to watch for cars. We have to pay attention. Whereas reproof would be, he lets go of my hand, darts towards the parking lot, and I say, no, stop, and I run after him. And then I give him a lovingly but stern conversation. It's a monologue. It's one-sided. But that's the difference between correction and reproof. Correction is to see where the heart is headed and to gently guide it in a different direction. To reprove means to see where the heart is headed and see that it's, it's further along than we thought. And to scold with good intent. To lovingly correct and turn back. Friends, correction and reproof both have the aim of repentance in the life of the believer. Right? Reproof and correction are not to embarrass. Reproof and correction are not to make someone feel small. This place should be so filled with humility and reliance upon the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel that we can correct one another and do it gently, do it with love. In fact, my hope and dream for this church is that one day we don't have to sit down and say, you know we love you, and so you need to stop this. My hope is one day this church will be able to just sit down and say, you need to stop this and know that it comes from a place of love. But that's the idea of reproof and correction. And then Paul says, for for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That man of God is not, it's not just for men. It includes all of us. 
It's just the Greek language uses the masculine there. But training in righteousness. I don't know what word comes to mind for you when the word training comes up. But for me, it's two-a-days in football. The hard, grueling August days where, you know, I'd, I'd lose the, the summer fat that I had accumulated because I'm sweating so much and I'm working hard. But you were training during those days to be ready when Friday night came. You train yourself in righteousness through the Bible to be ready for everyday life. When temptation comes, when disappointment comes, when sickness comes, when death comes, when brokenness and job loss and whatever you can imagine, when those things come, you need to be trained to respond in a godly way. And the best training for that is through the scriptures, that you may be complete, that you may be equipped for every good work. So how do we apply this? What do we do with this? Starting at home, you need to teach and pray. Whether you're dealing with you and your spouse or children or grandchildren, whoever it is, be always teaching, always digging into the word and, and, and talking with one another about what you're learning. But even more importantly than that, you need to be praying. Because discipleship is what? It's knowledge and it's belief. You can, you, can, you can handle the knowledge part, but you can't handle the belief part. That's not it within, you know, as much as I want to make my kids believe in Jesus, I can't do that. That has to be a work of God in their lives. And so we pray and plead with the Father to bring faith or to strengthen faith or to encourage faith. And we teach alongside of it, preparing one another. And so listen, I mean, obviously, you know, if, if you have young kids or kids in the home, this makes sense. But for those of you that the, the, the kids have, have flown out of the nest, here's how I think this applies for you. One, pray for your spouse. Pray like crazy for your spouse. And don't let your prayers be, God, help him to see that I'm right in this. You know, help her to admit that she's wrong. That's not, that's not where I'm going, okay? Pray for the spiritual health and spiritual growth of your spouse. If your spouse is an unbeliever, pray for them to come to faith. But the second thing, this illustration, it's not mine. It comes from a preacher in Cleveland called Alistair Begg. Who's Scottish, and you should listen to him just because he's Scottish and it's fun to listen to the Scottish person preach. But, anyways, um, he talks about how if you and I are standing around and I've got a can of Dr. Pepper in my hand and you bump into me, what's going to come out? Dr. Pepper, right? It's not going to be Coke, it's not going to be Sprite, it's going to be Dr. Pepper. Christians, brothers and sisters, we should be so happy in Jesus and so filled up with the time that we spent with Jesus that when people bump into us, what's going to come out? Jesus. The more time you spend in the word, the more you bump up against your spouse, the more it's going to be gospel conversations. What you're learning 
through your time with the Lord. Parents, grandparents, this should be exactly where we're headed with our kids, right? I mean, use catechisms, read children, study Bibles, do, do all of that. But make sure that part of your discipleship is just spontaneous conversations about what the Lord is teaching you so you can teach them. Because God isn't teaching you things for you to keep to yourself. He's teaching you things so that you can tell others about it. In the church, we need to create a culture of Paul's and Timothy's. Create a culture of Paul's and Timothy's. We need to, and, and I'm working on this, and, and you know, I, I want to work with you. I want us to work together as a congregation to figure out how to get folks connected with people that are a few steps ahead or a few steps behind. And as we, I think what we're doing in Sunday school is good, but I think we need to move towards some small groups that will get more people involved in the discipleship of our church. And as we do that, I don't want us to segregate into you know, young adults, mid-adults, fantastically young at heart, senior adults. Um, I, I don't think that's wise. I think there needs to be some crossover so that mature believers can help new, immature, growing believers. And those new, immature, growing believers can rub off a little bit on those of us that are mature believers. And that their newfound faith can encourage us while our wisdom can help them. Finally, as an individual, love the Bible, read the Bible, and talk about the Bible. Friends, we talked about this last week, right? Where George Mueller said that he, the most important work he had was to be happy in Jesus. That's the first thing he did when he got up in the morning. It was more important than his evangelism ministry, preaching to thousands of people who did not have a saving relationship with Jesus. It was more important than the orphanage that, that orphanages that he opened up in Bristol that took 10,000 kids without parents off the streets and gave them a hot meal and a, a, a safe room and a place to be discipled. He said, more important than any of that was being happy in Jesus. And I don't mean to repeat an illustration two weeks in a row. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that next week. Don't worry. But it, 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 it applies. What you want to do with your Bible in your hand is not gain knowledge, but to be happy in the Lord. To know who he is and know who you are. And he, very simply, we're, we're going to finish here. He is the God who spoke the world into existence. We are the ones who rebelled against him. And he is the one who was compelled by love and his glory and, and his, his sovereignty sent his son to live that life that we could not live, following the commands of God, never straying once. And Paul tells us in Philippians that that obedience led him to death on the cross. And it is on the cross where God poured out his wrath on Jesus. All of his anger towards every injustice. All of his anger towards the big sins of ours and the small sins of ours. 
was poured out on Christ. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, it is finished because it was paid for. And then he died. And then three days later, Jesus comes back to life. That's who God is. And friends, if you've turned from your sins and placed your trust in Jesus, it is finished. Your sins are paid for. You are forgiven, clean, and in the eyes of God, you're Jesus. I know we don't feel like it, right? But in our place, condemned he stood. That's who you are. And that's why again and again and again, we need to go back to the Bible. Not because it's a have to, but because for our joy and our encouragement and the discipleship of those around us, we need it. Let the gospel drive your Bible reading and your discipleship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I thank you for, this, for the second letter to Timothy. I thank you for the special relationship that he and Paul had, um, that even though Timothy religiously was abandoned by his father, that Paul stepped in, and, and Paul, who was not married and had no children, loved Timothy like a son and watched him mature in the faith like I pray I'll be able to watch my son do. And so, God, I, I pray that we would take seriously this call to discipleship, that you want us to be discipled, that you want us to disciple, but even... And with that, you want us to enjoy and cherish and read our Bibles. Father, help us to dig in. Help us to dig in individually, as families, and as a church. Help us to grow together, to reach the Hatch Valley with the good news of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, friends, it's time for us to respond. Uh, if you're not a Christian, you've heard the gospel, I would love to talk and pray with you this morning. If God's working in your heart, I'll be standing up here. I'd love for you to come down so we can talk and pray. Uh, believers, maybe today has, has pushed something in you. If you'd like prayer over that, uh, I'd love to pray for you as well. But let's all now stand and respond with singing. Mm -hmm.